You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates. I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Thank you for joining us once again. We are the largest, fastest-growing podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts for the subject of Toronto real estate. And here we are once again to cover some of the news as it's happening in and around us, trying to explain what's been going on. And so one of the biggest things that I see right now is this idea of an Ontario rent freeze coming to a city near you. Will freezing rents in 2021 actually help affordability in Ontario? We're going to discuss that and what you can expect to happen. Then we're going to start discussing this idea of new homes. Why are they so damn expensive in the GTA? And how is this drop in not just immigration, but now as we round into the school year, foreign students slowing down our local real estate market? We got a lot to discuss, a lot of good stuff going on today. We've recently passed 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, and we're having a lot of fun. Thank you for all all you listeners out there that sent us comments saying congratulations it means so much you guys rock and i appreciate everything everything you guys do for us here at watson estates it's been a wonderful journey we're going to continue to put out fantastic content as long as the content remains fantastic in the news so before in the in the nature of this idea of freezing it's actually getting a little cold in here in the spirit of this rent freeze i'm actually blasting my ac this morning as i record this podcast i thought you know what? i'm gonna add an extra layer of depth to this you're gonna hear it in my voice <laughs> and we're over here spying on the real estate market in the cold but don't worry i'm undercover got my nice little blanket also life hack as i'm, I'm learning if you're cold in a room just go to the corners it's always 90 degrees <laughs> All right, here we go. We're going to have some fun. We're going to jump into some of the latest news and we're going to start off with this rent freeze idea. So cbc.ca has an article called this, Ontario to freeze rent for some families promising new bill this fall. And I find this so fascinating. So, so fascinating. You've probably heard about this, especially if you're a landlord or a tenant, it probably popped up in your newsfeed. It doesn't pop up as it relates to Toronto real estate because rent doesn't necessarily have to do with real estate. It has to do with the rental space, it has to do with landlords and tenants. So it's not on the on the top list, but in my opinion, this is gonna have some serious implications. It also points to a bigger problem that we have here in this idea of just throwing money toward the tenant at whatever cost. So here we go. Vast majority of families will not see their rent increase at all next year if bill passes. So here's what the article reads. Ontario says it will introduce legislation this fall to freeze rent for some families next year. Municipal Affairs Minister Steve Clark's office says in a statement, I love how it's on Twitter, <laughs> the statement is on Twitter, that the proposed rent increase for 2021 was to have been 1.5%, and the government says if the bill passes, it will mean the, quote, vast majority of families will not see the rent increase at all next year, and I guess the vast majority would be those who stay in place, and will putting more limits on the abilities of landlords to manage their rental unit, their business, will that encourage people to stay in place? I think there's going to be a backlash. Here's what a tweet says from Steve Clark. This year is not like every other year, which is why at the direction of at Ford Nation, I will bring forward legislation this fall to freeze rents so that the vast majority of families do not see a rent increase in the next year. Yay, woohoo! Wish I thought of it. <laughs> 
The province says it'll consult tenant and landlord groups to ensure the new bill is balanced. Meanwhile, this is where the, this is where rubber hits the road. Meanwhile, Toronto Mayor John Tory said he's glad to see the announcement from the provincial government and he's looking forward to seeing details of the legislation. John Tory, the biggest advocate for tenants there is right now at this point in time, the province is making the right decision to leave some more money in the hands of tenants, Tory said on Twitter. <sighs> but let's be real here, guys. Let's talk a little bit before we get into the John Tory scenario and, and this whole thing going on. Let's think about this for a second. Who is being assisted by this rent control? I'm just kind of, and like, this is just me open thinking and in the comments, let me know what you think as well. But as I'm thinking through it, I think it only really helps people who already have ridiculously low rent rates. Like you've been in place for years, right? Legit, like if you think about it, because right now we've seen over the last year, we have seen tremendous declines in the rent rent amounts on the open market. So if you were to rent something more recently, maybe you feel like you're not getting a good deal. There is a ton of great deals for you available as a tenant. And I think the word is out. I think the word is out. Maybe I'm wrong. And so there's plenty of options for you. So those guys aren't assisted or helped as much. It really only helps the ones that have been in place for 10, 15 years. And these are the ones that are having big fights and they are holding it over top of the heads of a lot of these landlords already. So you're just adding fuel to the flame here. So I don't think this is going to impact everybody. I think this is more political than anything. And for new tenants, it's the landlord's interest right now, if you think about it, to not even increase your rent anyways, because you're trying to remain competitive. I'm already charging you more than the market will bear. So do you think I'm going to increase your rent? Like, am I going to really spook you that way? It would almost be a good argument to say I could decrease rent. Or if you're a tenant on the other side, if you've been maybe there for a long time, you could turn to your landlord and say, you know what? You haven't increased my rent in years. I wouldn't mind. I know they're saying they don't want us to increase rent, but I'm okay with you increasing my rent this year, even though you're not supposed to, or there's no requirement for you to do that. I am open to that to show your commitment to that landlord because unfortunately for everyone else, all the other landlords out there, all of us out here, we're seeing the writing on the wall for a lot of landlords that are throwing in the towel, you know, they're freezing cold. They're done with that towel even still. <laughs> it's like, it's the only, it's the only piece of fabric they have to stay warm in this flipping cold room right now and <laughs> this is the depth you're getting guys <laughs> and they're just they're saying screw it i'm throwing in the towel anyways right they're, they're at their wits end here and government is ultimately sticking its nose into something once again at the pleas of many of the tenant organizations advocacy groups and they're not letting the free market in my opinion what would fix it run its course i wouldn't be surprised if they require think of it like this guys would you have been shocked because as I'm thinking it through, would you have been shocked if they required a minimum uh, minimum rent rate decrease? Like, would that have surprised you? We are this year saying it is required by all landlords to, because of COVID, because this is all because of COVID, to you actually have to reduce your rent by 1%. All landlords, by law, right? And, and is that any more crazy? Like, you're literally sticking your nose in the free market. That's what's happening here. So it just so happens that it stayed flat, but nothing will surprise me anymore. I am numb to it. I am numb to these things. Tenant advocacy groups should be happy, right? They should be like, oh, this is great. This is great news. This is one more step in the right direction in preserving rent, the rent that we shouldn't really be paying anyways, but if we're gonna pay it, we'll keep it limited. And so John Tory's on their team. He's he's a big advocate for them right now. And why wouldn't you be if they're standing outside of your, your apartment and they're they're jumping in on some of your big announcements and they're making your life hell? Why wouldn't they be happy that he's on their team? Well, I looked, I saw this article pop up from Acorn Canada. They're one of the loud tenant advocacy groups. And listen to this article. Tell John Tory tenants need rent relief. 
Doug Ford is shamelessly speeding up evictions and providing no support to tenants. He's clearly not for the people. Join Acorn members across the city in demanding, because it's not working on Doug Ford, but we're gonna because it's working on Tory, we're demanding Mayor John Tory step up. It's like, I'm not just yelling, it's actually like in bold. Step up to provide rent relief. The city of Toronto has programs that help prevent evictions which I think some people might not even realize. And it's called this, the Rent Bank and Evictions Prevention and Community Program, the EPIC Program. These are good programs, but they must change with the times to address the unprecedented need for support during COVID-19. So what they're asking Tontori to do, it's because he's been playing ball so far, is let's go further. Let's see how far we can push this poor man. We demand John Tory and the Toronto City Council do the following. Listen to these demands. Oh my goodness. Number one. Convert the Toronto Rent Bank's 0% interest loans into non-repayable grants so tenants can get the funds they need without falling further into debt. So in other words, it's not zero interest loans. It's they're, They are repayable. They're saying change it so it's no longer repayable. In other words, it's free money. Change it to free money. Does that sound familiar? Relieving the debt? This idea of the province is doing that if in fact there is a problem. I wouldn't be surprised if the province says it. And it also doesn't surprise me they're saying it at a regional level because Ford's not having it so far. But that wouldn't shock me if there is in fact an evictions issue that we see the step the province step in, which we've seen in some of the, I've seen them in some of the East Coast provinces. But it continues. That's not it. That is not it. Because the people that qualify for that, I mean, you'd be this would be the people that need it, right? No, no, no. We need to also expand the eligibility criteria of the rent rate and EPIC program to the point where they say no tenant should be turned away during COVID. So during COVID, we should all qualify for that program. This is a municipal program because, you know, the municipality has enough money for this. <laughs> and we're going to increase the funding and the funds provided by these programs. So it's not even enough. And how much is enough? If I were to ask, if, what do you think their answer would be? All of it. Because <laughs> it needs to be enough. It needs to be enough. And during COVID, there is no limit to what we need to spend to protect and keep people in their houses. It is so important, as the government has already shown. It's so important. No, there is no dollar worth not turning over here. So here's what, let me get this straight. So you want every single tenant, just during COVID, during COVID, however long COVID lasts, because COVID, we're, we're expecting that's going to disappear in the next couple of months. During COVID, though, Every tenant should qualify for this program, right? And the program, you shouldn't have to pay it back. It should just be free money and there shouldn't be limits on it. It should cover your entire expense. So what you're saying is you want free rent for every tenant in the city, provided and paid for by John Tory. <laughs> hey, John, they're your friends, man. They're not my friends. I'm not in bed with these guys. So I feel bad. John Tory, he's getting ragdolled right now by these tenant groups. Yet he keeps on trying to be nice. You know, it's all, he's trying to keep face, trying to be nice. It's like the cannibal that shows up late for dinner. He keeps getting the cold shoulder. Poor guy. All right. We're going to move on. Keep an eye out for that, guys. You're going to have these limits on your rental. And really, the next 2021 rental increase was 1.5%. Is it going to be life-changing? No. Just drives me through the roof. The amount of just oh, all of it. All of it. You heard the, my rant ends here. We're going to move on. So there was an article in the Star today. We're going to start talking right now about pre-construction. And it is such a good question. In fact, it's such a good article. I kind of feel bad because I just want to read it to you. But we're going to try, I'm going to try and summarizing and try and give some outside perspective on it. But it was written by BILD, the BUILD president and CEO, Dilv Wilkes or Wilkes, depending on how you say it. I don't know how to say it. So this is the question. 
why are new homes so expensive in the GTA? And this article is literally just answering that. It's just answering that question and it's so good. And it's, it's concise, which is great. So here's what he says. He says, as president and CEO of one of the largest local home builders association in North America, I'm often asked this question. And it seems like a simple question, but the answer is actually very complex. So here's some of the things that he has to say. When it comes to new housing, the GTA is under supplied market. And virtually every year since 2006, the provincial growth plan for the region, the supply of new homes has fallen short of demand. And we've seen that and we've felt that. Not only that, federal immigration levels increased in 2015. The growth plan targets for the numbers of new homes were not updated to this, and the supply grew even further to 10,000 units per year. So you'd think at the time the immigration levels start going through the roof and at a federal level, we're more than happy to open our doors that you would make changes, but apparently that didn't happen. And so the problem just got that much more pronounced. The natural question he says is, well, why don't you bring more housing to market, right? Like why don't you just boost it up? The, but the industry's goal and business objective is to supply the required housing. Like that's your job. And he says, however, because the way new housing develops are regulated, and this is where we talk about on our channel all the time, it's this red tape, guys. Ultimately, it's the red tape. This is the short answer. It simply takes too long to bring new housing to market. A soon-to-be-released study, so this isn't even released yet, by the Altus Group for Build, demonstrates that it can take three years or longer just to receive the required municipal approvals in some GTA municipalities, and this for projects that municipalities agree with. These are the ones you want. These are the ones you want, and yet it still takes three years. Three years for approval. That is one frozen system. That moment your false teeth, your false teeth chatter, and you're still in the glass. That you didn't even get them in your mouth yet. They're so cold. They're more frozen than my daughter's bedroom. <laughs> uh, I love when they just come up with something on the spot. So good. Some of these are planned, but sometimes they're not. And those other ones are better. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, here we go. All right. So those are the ones that you wanted. And there's some that, that require appeals, right? The local planning appeal tribunal that will make it even longer, even longer. Not only that, the lengthy approval timelines not only slow down new supply, but they also add the cost. So this study that's going to be released is going to show that indirect costs are $2.21 per square foot for an apartment in a high-rise building and $1.46 in a low-rise building for each month of delays. So a delay of three years, listen to this number, adds more than $100,000 to the cost of a typical 2,000 square foot low-rise home. 100 grand, just in the cost for the delays on the approval. So if you were to, in other words, speed up that process and they were to pass that cost along, let's see if that happens, then it would save you 100 grand to buy a new build. <laughs> Lastly, all levels of government add in fees, right? There's taxes and charges and new homes that you don't even see in the resale market from HST, the land transfer tax to development charges. There's educational development charges. There's parkland charges. There's planning fees. And they all add up to almost 25% of the cost of the new home in the GTA. And this is why it costs so much money. It's also why there's not a lot of profit available to these builders. Although you think you're like, oh, they're builders. Like that's such a glorious job that would make such a high rate of return. Well, not in a market like ours. The present provincial government, they say though, has taken positive steps to address many of these issues through the housing supply action plan and should rightly be applauded. They think that we are on the right track 
based on all of these things, and this is coming right from the builders. Build looks forward to working with its municipal partners to see these changes implemented to the benefit of future generations of home buyers in the GTA. Guys, it's way too expensive to build and there's way too much red tape. That red tape needs to get cut regardless of where you stand on, the, on either aisle. We need more housing. And ultimately it's gonna come from one party, I won't say which side of the table, that needs to be more willing to build and to grow. This idea of opening up the green belt is just like absolutely a disastrous idea to some people, but down the road, give it 30 years. I mean, this isn't happening tomorrow, but give it 30 years. I mean, we're already building the highway. Do you think that highway is not going to be equipped to service people that are now in the existing green belt down future development? Just watch guys, just watch. But for the meantime, housing prices are getting stacked on top of each other. And one other point that comes from my listeners, not from the president of build, but I love it nonetheless, is this idea of the cost of material. The material costs recently are going through the roof. Think of the distribution, the challenges that they're facing right now in general. And this is also impacting, not to mention trade wars and all of these challenges but Billy Miner, thank you for your comment. Canadian banks reporting strong numbers, low interest rates, and sky-high building materials are going to continue pushing prices higher. They do, in many ways, set the pace for prices. They're always higher, but they do set the pace. And also, Sergey C., thank you. Lumber prices have surged to a fresh record of 858 per 1,000 board feet in August and more than doubled in value over the last year amid continuing robust demand for the renovation of new home markets. So as these builders across North America continue to build, they are competing for a limited supply, which is also bottlenecked through distribution of lumber. Alongside with strong demand where there's a supply shortage at a mill, failed to anticipate the coronavirus pandemic, no one expected it, setting off a building boom. Expensive, prices going up, and it's why pre-construction are not cheaper even during COVID. It's why you're going to get a better deal in the resale market. Hopefully you learned a little bit about that. I think that's great stuff. We're going to do some hot topics here before we jump into our final, our final topic. And all of these topics are so good. Man, so good. At the end of the week, we can just really grab all the good stuff, package it together for you. <laughs> This thing, I, I still don't believe it. Okay, this, this little bullet here, I do not believe it. I saw an article from ratespy.com. I'm sketched out to the limit, but this is what they say. Fixed rate record. Okay, guys, what, what is the cheapest rate right now in the market? I thought it was like 1.6-ish. I was talking to Dave at the Butler Mortgages uh, company, but apparently I saw one today, yesterday, sorry. That is at 1.39. Now, not, I'm not encouraging people jumping over to this, I, I, but nonetheless, I find it fascinating that these things, even during a market where it's not really even the hot season for promotional rates, they're offering such low rates. This is a one-year fixed mortgage, which is why it doesn't really account for everybody. It just goes to show you rates aren't going to change for a while, and it's not applicable to refis. It only applies to new customers, and that is being offered at ratespy.com, but so fascinating to see. 1.39, 1.39. When I talk to these guys in the States and they're in the mid-twos, it's so cute. Right, it's so the thermostat though here on interest rates is so low. It's got the gangsters in the city having to pull up their pants. <laughs> it's freezing. <laughs> All right, let's move on to another topic here. Another hot topic: this idea of the fear of CMHC. You're gonna see a balance here, guys. Fear of CMHC versus the optimism of investors and. Clearly, you can see I'm on the optimistic side, but the fear of CMHC is alive and well. CTV News, listen to this. When I first read this, I thought, oh no, this sounds really bad, but really it just shows the fear CMHC has as a, as a business, themselves, they themselves. 
Here's what they say. While it will take several months for the economic impacts of COVID-19 to fully materialize, some factors are starting to work their way into our financial results, their books. For example, we are starting to see the impact in our provisions for insurance claims. So they're making provisions that they think the insurance claims will go up. This is, this is so funny. It's like, that is your legitimate argument for why the market is going to crash. Like, it's like, we believe the market's going to crash nine to 18%. The reason we believe that is because our provisions for insurance claims is going up. Well, actually you got that backwards. The reason your insurance provisions are up is because you believe the market's going to drop nine to 18%. But then it just kind of gets sold this way that like, it just goes to show you CMHC is serious and they are putting their money behind it. But at the end of the day, this is a provision. And if it doesn't come to be win, win. I'd rather see CMHC be more conservative, and that still remains the case. While CMHC took on new government programs and funding, it also saw claims expenses jump by 256 million or 711% due to an increase in provisions. Provisions for COVID claims. Not claims, provisions for claims. Same as the banks. They made provisions that we were gonna have loans, these loan provisions that they're gonna they're gonna default, they're gonna fall through. And we see the vast majority of the banks have pulled that all the way back with a couple exceptions. I think Scotiabank's the only one that hasn't. The other big banks are more than 60% of them falled off because they realized, you know what, maybe we overdid it and I'd rather my books be conservative anyways. It's why they're so strong as an industry. And it's also going to keep CMHC afloat as well. They're also cutting back. I think they said they didn't want to pay dividends and all that fun stuff. But anyways... They also say the corporation, yeah, there's a the suspension. We remain in a strong financial position to bear the full impacts of COVID-19 and to take further steps to support Canadians and the economic recovery if necessary. There is no problem, but they're forecasting there is a problem. And if and when that does happen, they are in a position to bear the brunt. But then on the flip side, we look at investors and there is so much optimism, so much optimism. I saw from renx.ca, Blackstone makes $395 million equity investment in Tricon. And we're not going to get into this, but what's happened is there's an investment in Tricon illustrating that Blackstone real estate's confidence in our business fundamentals and the value of our stock. Well, what is the stock? Because they trust this company, Tricon, this big corporation in North America has invested in this Toronto-based rental housing company. And when we look up on their company, what is Tricon? What are the big guys investing their money in? Well, listen to this. Founded in 1988, Tricon is a rental housing company focused on serving the middle market demographic. Tricon owns and operates approximately 30,000 single-family rental homes and multifamily rental homes in 21 markets across the U.S. and Canada managed with integrated technology-enabled operating platform. Is every company worth throwing this much money at? No. But isn't it fascinating that millions and millions of dollars are being thrown by investors into companies in this middle market? Maybe they're looking at something different than CMHC, but that tells me there's a lot of optimism among investors in the rental space for single-family and multifamily homes. Woohoo! You having fun yet? <laughs> Uh, I, I think I'm starting to warm up, but I don't want to slow down. Don't want to slow down here. Got to keep the arms flailing. <laughs> we got other comments from our listeners and just to kind of give some perspective on, we got a lot of investors that listen and are very wise and savvy to the market. And here's what some of them have to say. Bon Bon 416, everything indicates a crash, but it's not happening. These governments will continue to support the market until things normalize. So no crash. And that comes at a price we'll talk about in a second. We got Millie Mi Billy Miner, rent keep going up. Home prices keep going up. There is nowhere to hide. I still say buy if you can. 
wherever you can. Some people are far more optimistic, right? And that is clearly a sign of optimism. But I love this conversation from the truth, this idea of inflation, which we've been talked about, we're talking about the Bank of Canada still in this discussion. The United States has pretty much said they're, they're open to going over 2% inflation. And I think the Bank of Canada will follow something like that where there is no limit. And this is what he has to say. Lower Canadian dollar means an even further increase in Canadian property values as foreign money already finding Canadian real estate to be attractive. Because think about it, as you pump out more money, the value of your dollar goes down, you become more attractive on the global scale, you're more affordable for foreign investment. And it will seem even more attractive still. It's a vicious cycle, part of inflation, unless you're a Canadian property owner. Here's how this all works, guys. Inflation helps the wealthy. It pushes asset prices up, right? It pushes the prices up, but it actually hurts as much as it's like we're going to try and help employment we're helping all these it's such a good thing it's sold it's such a good thing it actually hurts the poor it does because the expenses go up your light your living costs your cost of food your cost of rentals your costs go up as a dollar and then the loan is required to buy goes up so if you're going to buy a property the rates like you, you need more mortgage because the property asset value has gone up. So to get in the market gets harder. So it actually helps those who have the property or the fixed assets and it hurts the people who don't yet. And inflationary periods is actually really good a time to hold hard assets like real estate. You could make a case, screw what the market's doing. Holding hard assets in advance of an inflationary period in Canada is an amazing idea. Just that reason alone, it's a way of hedging. Instead of holding, speaking of freezing, cold, hard cash, it's just a bad idea. The cash is so cold, it'll have the lawyers putting their hands in their own pockets. And a lot of people are diving into hard assets. And it's one of the reasons, in my opinion, that real estate has outperformed in a market you'd think, well, it's a recession though. So we're going to move on to our last and final topic. You know, I like talking about immigration. There's been a lot of stats about permanent residents, but I love this conversation from the Vancouver Sun, also talking about Toronto, Vancouver, and Quebec, I believe, Montreal. And they're discussing this idea of students. What a timely time to have the conversation about students because school is right around the corner. Or is it? Or is it? I saw something about the X. Is the X actually doing a one-day thing? Like, what is this ridiculousness? Anyways, let's go to the X. <laughs> Gonna change it. Let's avoid the X. <laughs> uh, shut up and move on. Okay. So hundreds, listen to some of these sets, hundreds of thousands of dwellings filled by last year's cohorts of 642,000 international students are empty and a record number of investor-owned condo units formerly rented have been listed for sale. Funny how this works, guys. Like we, we think about it from the perspective of somebody buy, they move here, they stay for three years, and then they rent, they rent for three years and then they buy three years down the road. But what we, I think we've missed, and I haven't really talked about this either, and why I love this conversation is what about the student? Because yes, they're not maybe buying something. Some of them are now because, I mean, why wouldn't you? Because why would you? <laughs> Anyways, that's a whole other conversation. But many of them, they, they just rent. They come in, they rent for three years, four years, and then they go and they leave. Well, during that time, you have local investors, foreign and local investors, mostly local, who are renting to these people. Well, if they stop, then what is that going to do to our housing? Well, nothing directly, but it actually does indirectly because it's going to make it less advantageous to rent units. It's, it's further creating an additional problem, which is why I think the rental market is one of the bigger points of concern in my mind, 
this is why adding all these extra layers of problems is not going to help this situation, is going to, in some cases, you try and rent your unit, it's already difficult. It's already difficult. And there's not even students here yet. And they're coming on to a point where they need to renew their leases. Do you think these guys are going to renew their one-year lease if they're not coming to school? No. So you're going to flood the market with even more inventory that can't get filled by foreign students. And what is the problem with that? Well, it means that little old greedy me sitting over here watching the condo space in the in the city is going to be watching this as an opportunity to scoop up these units that you thought you were going to rent, but you can't. And now you're sweating a little bit. Now you're sweating. And I think if you had one of these units and that was your primary audience, you would be sweating already. But I think it's happening to people and they don't even know it. I think it's all part of the deal here. Amid ongoing border restrictions, travel-related health fears, and global economic downturn, we expect immigration levels to be down in 2020 from a record 370,000. This is RBC. That was where they were. A slowdown in immigration-related demand for homes could squeeze the rental and housing market. Just to bring you guys up to speed, it was about 41% drop so far, but it is coming back. But this university enrollment question, the university enrollment office is so cold that it has Mr. Richard Simmons wearing shorts that come nearly to his half-thigh region. <laughs> it's freezing. There's nobody applying for these schools. And what, having worked through the school system, I was actually very heavily involved back in the colleges. I was on the board of governors with, it was Humber College at the time. We were, I was on the board there and we were discussing the difference. I learned very quickly that foreign students, the limits on foreign students for what you can charge them as a student is, is almost non-existent. I don't even think there is a limit. It's literally whatever you want to remain competitive. Whereas local students, you've got all these other programs that you need to work within. So it's advantageous to them to have foreign students. This is a large chunk of their money that they generate. Like we're talking, you pay $3,000 as a student locally, they're paying over 10 like a lot more money. So very fascinating how that's all playing out. And is it going to affect the university budgets? Absolutely. Am I scared the university is going to go under? No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> My thoughts aren't there. In fact, I find it so fascinating when I see other companies like Google trying to create competition for universities where you can pay 45 bucks a month in order to get certificates that they will approve. Anyways, that's a whole other thing. Go, go on that rabbit hole if you want. But at some point, the, the, this race to the top that we have where you're giving extra money to students in these this forms of making it easier, 30% tuition grants. But what's going to happen? The university is going to flip around. They're going to increase their rates by 30%. You think you're winning. You think, oh, you thought the government was helping you. <laughs> but at this point, we're not growing as it relates to foreign students. We're coasting. The, I love this point as well. We think, okay, we've got a lot of applications right now for, 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 for people, foreign people coming in, permanent residents. But an interesting point that I've kind of thought of, but never really, I love how they worded it here. They say, unlike previous years, most of the people who became permanent residents in Canada in the spring were already in the country, which means they're not necessarily creating new demand for housing. So yes, we've got a rebound in the number of immigrants, number of people applying for permanent residency, but is it really increasing? No. And I think where this is going to shine most is through things, people where they have these visas that are coming for studies or for work, and those are going to be seriously halted, which is going to cause a lot of problems in the rental space, which could overflow into your real estate prices. Yes, real estate prices have gone through the roof recently, but we got to keep our finger on the pulse because I do think there's going to be added pressure coming from the rental segment. And this is where it comes down to what the government is going to do to pick up the pieces on the other end. And they say this, that is because people have been moving to those cities from other parts of the country and can Canadian born millennials fled for more affordable outlying areas. Just a reminder for those of you maybe new to our channel, make sure you hit that like and subscribe. Cha-ching! This idea of what is the flow? What is the flow? Why is it 
Like, is it a shock that the rural areas are doing well? No, you got people leaving the city and they were doing that even before COVID. They're just doing it more now. But, but every time I hear more now, I hear more no and I, I get bad, I get bad dreams. <laughs> it completely throws off my mood. <laughs> but who's replacing these people in the city? Well, it's people buying foreign money coming into the country, coming into the city of Toronto and then it overflows and you guys are running off. I'm allowed to say you guys in that scenario, running off to the outside markets and you're pushing up that. And so that's the flow. But when you've got the one side of the tap turned off, it causes a problem. And we start to see people, what would appear as people fleeing the city when really it's, it's kind of that, but it's more so not the lack of replacement, if that makes sense. An added void has emerged. So we looked at Zucasa. They say here that there was a rise by 45% last year in rental apartments offered in the core of the city, which has many college and university condo rental listings have skyrocketed 80%. And that I think will continue in the next couple months. Students have been paying rent and living overseas or unlikely to renew their digs in Canada into the school year. And, and we've kind of talked about this. We also see a bounce of 40% in, in permits. So not just foreign uh, residents or people permanent resident applications up 40% is actually study permits. I've dropped 40%. Is that on an upswing or a downswing? I would think it's on a downswing, maybe going in a different direction, but still very similar numbers. And in light of restrictions in combat of the coronavirus, the number of new permanent residents dropped by 41%. It was down 80%, guys. It was down 80% before, but I think that's going to stay kind of flat over the winter months. And for some reason, the immigration plunge has been milder for Metro Vancouver, which is just 19%. And they point this to being the, re this, this goes to show you how powerful because their immigration numbers are lower. Their price drops have happened less. So it just is an added point actually coming from better dwelling saying that just goes to show you that it's the immigration that's causing the bigger problem here in Toronto. Very interesting points. It's a reason a lot of people are watching immigration right now. And here's another fun fact. This is out of Vancouver, but still interesting. Homes bought by a new immigrant was on average $824,000 higher than one purchased by a person born in Canada. Does that not explain that trend of going into the city and you going out of the city? We had fun here today, guys. I know I did. With COVID cases rising, school openings around the corner, we should be scared of getting sick, right? But with the near freeze we've seen in travel, I expect people to begin looking forward to getting a fever. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. That, was, that wasn't funny. I think the AC is a little too high. It's affecting my sense of humor. <sighs> this climate, honestly, guys, this is getting a little ridiculous. This climate, this would make a penguin's nipple perky and I need to turn it up in here. So I'm going to call it right here. Make sure you leave us a like and leave us a subscribe. And I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. I'm going to take the day off tomorrow as I like to on Sundays to spend with my family. And I'll see you guys next time. Take care and keep it real.